We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Hey, that's Ryan Roberts. You know that dude. I'm Brian Driscoll. It's Friday. It means it's mailbag time. And what that means basically is today, you guys determine the topics that we're going to talk about. So, Ryan, we've already got a bunch of questions already started. So there's a maybe half of them are John A ones. So we'll have to try to mix them up. It's just a just a lot, of, a lot of great questions. And so, Ryan, we'll just dive right in, man, because we're just going to get rocking and rolling. Obviously, we know some of the topics that are going to be discussed today are going to be hot and heavy, but we got a lot of other things, too, including some draft stuff. So anything Notre Dame related, recruiting, team, whatever, anything college football related, let's rock and roll. Let's do it. We're going to kick off with a super chat from Carolina Irish. Thank you very much. Uh, with that question and Ryan, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of kick this one off and then we'll kind of go back and forth. But at what point is an offensive in an offensive coach's career does he start to develop a playbook? I consider Reese a special case since he played in the same head coach as he ended up OCing for. What about young guys? Well, I, I'll say this: Tommy Reese kind of had his own playbook, right? This past year, especially. But um, I mean, look, it's it's something that you develop over the course of your career. I'll speak for myself, Ryan. I started working on my playbook when I was in high school and then it developed in college and then it developed more. And it doesn't just come from who you play for. A lot of what Tommy Reese does is from studying the NFL. I mean, that's kind of where he is. And that's partly why he's taking the path that he's taking, potentially taking to Alabama because of the fact that it has set up multiple coaches to be coordinators in the NFL. Sure. You look at Brian Dabble, you pull, Dable, you look at Bill O'Brien. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian went from what quarterbacks coach with the with the uh the Alabama to the OC of the Falcons and then came back as OC to Alabama. Now he's the head coach of Texas. So you're you're just whatever game, whatever teams you respect, whatever style you have, you're going to follow those teams and try to get ideas for those teams and then kind of mold your little wrinkles and things you like into it. Well, and I was going to say Brian is that 
it, the great thing about football is it never really stops, right? Like this game is just ever evolving. So it's like Tommy Reese's playbook right now. It's not going to be the same thing as Tommy Reese's playbook next year or the year after. There's going to be new things, new plays installed. There's going to be new wrinkles. There's going to be new formations, new ideas, new adjustments off of plays. Like that's the great thing about football, everyone, for me, is that you never can know enough because things are always changing. Right. I mean, you're seeing it every single year as far as, you know, just the not even just the style of offenses, but just the things that you can do out of it. The adjustments defensively, some some personnel that you can use in certain different defensive schemes to run sub packages. And that's what I love about football is that it's a it's a literally a chess match because things are constantly evolving and you have to be a step ahead. That's that's why really why I love the game so much. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Your principles don't change as a coach, but how you go about executing those principles does change. Now, I think some concepts are universal and stand the test of time, but how you do them will change. So, like, there's teams that are running inside zone, and, you know, coaches have been running inside zone for 20 years. But how they teach it, how they scheme it, how all those type of things will evolve and change over the time. Hey, look, we used to do this with a fullback. For example, when I first started coming up with my playbook, I've always been an inside zone guy. I was a Broncos fan. And what was the scheme, Ryan, that brought us a couple Super Bowls? It was zone. Outside right? zone. With Alex yeah. Gibbs. Inside, yeah. outside zone with Alex Gibbs. You know, with those great Terrell Davis teams with Mike Shanahan. And so when I first got started, 
if you remember that those Broncos teams, their base personnel package was 21. Ed McCaffrey, Rod Smith, the receiver, Shannon Sharp, a tight end, Howard Griffith, the fullback, and then Terrell Davis, a tailback. And so you'd run a lot of split zone out of that where, you know, you'd have the tight end going to one side, blocking backside, the fullback going to another. Sometimes they would run sort of like a lead zone where they would run to the open side with the tight end backside. They would block it a little bit differently on the edge, and then they would have the fullback leading up through the through – the, I mean, so I was a I was a 21 personnel inside zone guy. Well, then it kind of evolved, and when I got into coaching, I was more of an 11 personnel zone guy. You know, and, and I mean, we weren't running RPOs, but we were running pre-snap check type of RPOs, Ryan, back when I was coaching. And when I got hired as a pass game coordinator – at Christopher Newport, that's one of the things we did is we went to more 11 personnel and we would throw like bubble screens and things like that. So if that guy was, you know, the overhang was was cheating inside, we'd check and throw like a bubble or throw something like that, right? And and so when we do like little different motions and stuff like that, because now we I was still an inside zone guy. We're running inside zone and, you know, but just how you get to it evolves. And then, you you know, the read zone becomes a thing and that adds a different wrinkle to it. But it's still inside zone. You know, the, the rules may change a tad, but it's still inside zone. You may work on different, you know, drills as you evolve over time, but it's still inside zone. Right. And I, so you can, there's concepts that I think stand the test of time, Ryan, but they're, even those are going to evolve and change. And if you're not willing to not only adapt, but also the best coaches are the ones who are sort of the ones setting the trends. Somebody had to be the first one to really make RPOs a thing. Somebody had to be the first one to really dive into inside zone for it to eventually become a thing, right? It was Sid Gilman and then Bill Walsh who sort of implemented, or excuse me, Paul Brown and then Bill Walsh who kind of brought the West Coast offense alive to then where it dominated the NFL. But somebody had to be the innovator that kind of brought that out. And it was Lavelle Edwards at the college level that sort of brought his version of the West Coast offense to the table and why they were putting up monster numbers back in that Ty Detmer era. So somebody's got to be innovative. And and so you can be innovative with a brand new scheme or you can be innovative in that we're going to run stuff that other people run. But here's some things that I like about it that we're going to do differently with our personnel that no one's really doing that I think will work. And sometimes that stuff works and sometimes it doesn't. Yep. I think the best coordinators are the ones who are kind of forward thinkers and not just repeating what everybody else does. Because if you start repeating what everybody else does, that means defenses are already starting to work on answers. And it's not sure. going to last as long. So those are all different things that I that I look at when it comes to putting a playbook together. Well, and you mentioned like 21 personnel with the Broncos. Like 21 personnel with what how we want Notre Dame to run it today is a lot different than that, right? Like we're not talking about a fullback anymore. We're talking about using two true running backs in the backfield as well. So wrinkles always change and how you adjust to it on the other side of the football always obviously adjust as well, right? Because – I can't defend – if I'm a defense, I can't look at a 21 personnel formation with a fullback and be like, oh, that's the same as if they have Chris Tyree and you know Logan Diggs in the game, right? Like you can't treat it the same. That's why, again, the game is ever-evolving, and that's why there's context to everything and why we can't just put numbers on things because there's wrinkles that you throw in there that – they just far exceed what the numbers tell you type of thing, if that makes sense. So that's, yeah, I think that those wrinkles off of different personnel packages even today are what, why the game is just becoming so much more in depth and so much more kind of, I don't want to call it chaotic, but like it can be chaotic at times. It's, it's very interesting how the evolve, how you see things evolve over time. 
Let's go to this next question, Ryan. So that that's one from Carolina R- Irish. We'll go to uh, Tommy Guns here with with one. Were either were were either of you able to get a short list of guys you think might be upgrades? Should Coach Reese go? And I'm bringing this up because we're not going to necessarily dive into it today because we're not going to really dive into our specific list until a we finished diving into the film and seeing if it would fit. Like Ryan and I were working on a list last night, and there was a guy on there that we were both very high on as a young coach, but it's like. But because of the position he would be involved in, it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit sure. with the current personnel. And so there's a couple guys like that, for example, that you're like, hey, I love that guy as, an, as a coordinator, but I don't think it fits here because of the way that the current staff is made up. And you don't want to change the staff in that regard. That guy's not good enough to make the changes that we'd have to make for that guy to take over. And so there's some of that stuff. But also, I don't really – look, I'll address specific people you guys bring up. But we're going to hold off on kind of putting our list out until Tommy Reese just makes his decision or at least makes his decision known. And so I just I don't want to go there. I'll respect your specific questions about it if there's a guy you want to talk about. And there's a lot of that already in the, the chat that we'll get to on specific guys. But I don't necessarily have a list just yet. Uh, we, we will have one. If Tom Reese leaves, I promise you we will have a written uh, article about that and we'll address that in our in our podcast, our next podcast in regard to guys that we think Notre Dame should go for. Yeah. And that's the thing is when we talk about who we think Notre Dame should go for, that's our opinion. That's not something that Notre Dame is maybe looking at. And we'll be very sure to specifically say if this is a Notre Dame target or not. So if you hear us talking about a coordinator today, it's not someone that Marcus Freeman has told me he's looking at or somebody else in the Notre Dame program has told me they're looking at. It's This is our opinion. And if it's ever a situation where we're reporting what we know is from a source, we'll say we've heard that so and so is a guy that Notre Dame is going to look at. But right now, um, we're just we're not going to do that. It's not that we're against it, Tommy. It's just that's a better conversation to have at a different time when there is a decision that has been made. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's it's out of respect to Coach Reese too, right? Because he's still the offense coordinator at Notre Dame until he's not anymore, right? So decision that has not been made. So we're going to honor that, and then if it happens, then we'll talk a lot about it. I'm sure. Yeah. So absolutely, John A. One with a question: Which young defensive lineman stepping up could both boost the D line need wise as well as be an impact player in 2023? His options are Jason Onye. Tyson Ford, Donovan Heinish, Aiden Gobira, and Josh Burnham. My list would have two guys on that, Ryan. Okay. Let's say you. As far as being stepping up, filling need, and being an impact guy. Yeah. I mean, the first guy that's Josh Burnham, because we just talked about him so much, right? Like, I expect him to be a part of the Viper rotation. And I think that you need that type of length, athleticism, and versatility. I, Jason Onyes is an interesting one, John. I mean, all, ultimately, man, I need somebody with size to step up, right? So I would even put Gabriel Rubio on that list, even though we saw Gabriel Rubio this year a decent amount. I would still include him on this list because it's not like he was a starter or got starter reps, right? Like we saw maybe what, like 10, 15, maybe 20 snaps occasionally last season. So I would even include Gabriel Rubio. So Gabriel Rubio, Jason Onye, a guy that could play nose, and then Joshua Burnham's the guy that I really want to see, you know, kind of at that Viper position. But I really think that Notre Dame needs to try to find some consistent size. You know, you don't need a Gabriel Rubio to be a 50-snap-a-game guy, but you do need him to play a, a decent amount of snaps because he brings a size profile that you just don't have at nose really right now. 
for me, Ryan, it's of the guys provided, it's Burnham and Tyson Ford. I think both of those guys have impact talent. Aiden Golbyra, to me, is probably still a year away from that standpoint. Those are the two guys that flash the highest ceilings to me. But I will say this, as far as being an impact guy, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Jason Onye can do this spring. I am. He's got great size. He's got length. He's athletic. Is he a natural football player? We'll find out, right? He's still very new to football. I mean, this kid's only been playing football for four years. That includes his two years at Notre Dame because he lost a very important year of development as a senior in high school because of the COVID stuff in his state. He's still very young. The light may go on someday. It may not. But if the light goes on, he's going to be a good football player, in my opinion. I really believe that. Will he be an impact player? Potentially, Ryan. I mean, I gave him a four and a half star upside grade. Now, he had a much lower original grade, but he was one of those boomer bust kind of guys Yeah, that I really felt could become an impact player at the next level. I just, it's hard to say that because we just, we we haven't seen it, but but he's got a lot of tools as well. So it's a good list. I mean, that, and I think that's kind of where <clears throat> the coaching better step it up because I don't want to hear excuses about how Notre Dame lacks talent on the defensive line. If Notre Dame's defensive line isn't good this year, I don't want to hear crap about how young it is or how inexperienced it is, or there's not a lot of talent, bull pucky, right? There is. It's about whether or not you can develop that talent. That's the question. Yes. Right? That's the only question that I have is, can you develop that talent? Can you coach it up? Can you get the most out of those guys? You got the strength program to make it happen, Ryan. Do you have the defensive line coaching and the coordinating to make it happen? Different question. And that's where they have a lot to prove. Because Al Washington is not working with a – look, the dude's trying to push some kids on scholarship out. Right. That okay. So why are you doing that if you don't think you have a lot of dudes? Right. right. So you know, there, there's no excuses this year. He's got to step up and get the job done. And I hope that he does, but he's got to do a much better job in 2023 than he did in 2022. And it's not just coaching the older players, it's you got to coach the whole roster. And that's something I think Al Golden did a, or Al Washington did a very bad job of this year, as did Al Golden. Yeah. Well, that's it, gotta it, change. It, and I would say the previous staff with Mike Elston, that's something that he did pretty well at, right, Brian? Like he took guys that are maybe a little raw, like I think about Adi Ogandiji for one, right, where he got a lot out of those types of guys, right? I think that that Mike Elston was a good developer of talent at the defensive line spot. So you need that out of this because, like you said, I mean, if anybody's seen Jason Onye in person, that kid's an impressive-looking cat, man. He can move, too. Like he's talented. You've talked about Tyson Ford in the past. That kid's talented. Aiden Gabira is very talented. Joshua Burnham's talented. Donovan Heinish's talent. You just named John right there five talented football players. And if you can't get something out of five talented football players, there's time for some self evaluation that needs to happen or evaluation from someone else outside of yourself, right? So there, certainly there's no reason that you can't look at that group and say, I could probably get at least something out of two of those guys in 2023 to be at least contributors again, high impact, probably not, but be contributors and be important pieces. Yeah. I think you can find some guys in that group. I, I do want to say this. Cause we have a question about it. Somebody said, Brian, I didn't think you were drinking do anymore. Cause I'm using one of my cups. That's normally a do cup. This is actually one of the smoothies I was talking about. So it's a raspberry blueberry, I think strawberry and banana smoothie. So it's just those froze, those fruits frozen in milk. And I think my wife puts like a little bit of protein powder in there. But I'm not sure if this one has that or not. But yeah, I'm drinking a smoothie. See, so not no do. I'm still I'm I'm holding strong. 
You slip some dew in on the side. Yeah, I would. Do. Yeah, how gross that would be. <laughs> that would be like, really gross. I don't like dew that much. It's the sweet. You know what I mean? Like, <sighs> I did slip up a little bit this past weekend when I was out of town in Ohio when it came to dew. But uh, yeah, since I've been home, I've been back on track and and no dew. So, but thank you for your concern and and challenging me. It was Sean Kelly who asked that, so I appreciate that that uh, attempt at chastation because I like that. It's about accountability. No, I'm being serious. Like I like that accountability and. I can't express to you how much it meant to me. I was telling my wife about this, that there was a lot of people in the chat really encouraging me. Hey, you know, get healthy, do these things. And uh, it, it meant a lot. It, it really meant a lot. So I do I do appreciate that very, very much. We have one here from Scott L. Are all three of the worst recruiters Notre Dame has on the defensive side of the ball, Golden, Washington, and O'Leary? How would you rank Notre Dame's coaches as recruiters from worst to best? Ryan, I don't think he's wrong. I, mean, I, I, I guess true. I didn't. Really I, think I would. About wor- it that I would probably way. word it a little differently, but yeah, I don't. Think I wouldn't. Way. I wouldn't. I mean, let, let's be honest. None. None of those three recruited up to par this year. None. I agree them. with that. I agree. With none that. of them. They were all substandard recruiters this year. So yeah. So anyway, the question, Ryan. Yeah. I think we would agree that the three least effective recruiters on the staff. Yes. Are on that's the, that's where I was going for. Was Ryan's, least effective. Ryan's yes. trying to be nice. He's trying to be nice. He he uh, he's trying to be nice to you, Scott. Well, I just I just don't want anybody to ever be like you know the worst member of Irish Breakdown is Ryan Roberts. I'm just the least effective. <laughs> well, a that's false, and and b it's kind of like yeah you, you, that is a good point. Like you could have you know like who who was the worst member of the Fab Five? Well, they were all pretty good players. Somebody has to be worst if you're going to use that definition. Exactly. But I think in this instance, though, it fits because I do think, I mean, what has Al Golden done in the recruiting show? This is what I pay you to do, Ryan. How yeah. often do you hear his name in regard to him talking to players? If if there is, if the player names multiple coaches, defensive recruits might get to him by the third name, most likely. So they'll usually start with the position coach might. that is recruiting them, the the then Marcus Freeman is always named, obviously, and then Al Golden is usually named third off that list. So not great, yeah. man. Not great. <laughs> yep. It's not good. Uh how would you rank Notre Dame's coaches as recruiters from worst to best? Honestly, I don't really look at it like that, Scott. It's a fair question, but the way I do is I group it into three categories. It's the guys that are really dominating the guys that are getting the job done and then the guys that are not getting the job done cuz getting the job done means you're just you're doing a good job maybe there's room for improvement you're doing a good job i guess you could put it as a fourth category sort of in- in- incomplete and right now that's where i put jared parker because it's still just hard to i mean he came into a situation where they already had their 23 class filled he's got an early commitment from a guy that i view as a top 200 player which is a nice a nice start <clears throat> But now let me see if you can close on Carter Nelson or or Walter Matthews or Jaden Riddell. I mean, I, I need to see you close on those guys because this is really his first full cycle. So it's hard for me to evaluate a guy on a cycle where really he really had nothing to do. It's a little different than Al Golden because Al Golden, even though he didn't have any linebackers necessarily to go out and get because they already knew who they wanted, and, and he did have a role in Jaden Osbury's recruitment. I wouldn't call him the driving force behind it, but he, he played his role you don't hear his name mentioned enough with defensive recruits as a whole. Like we always hear Chad Bones name mentioned. We always hear Tommy Reese's name mentioned with offensive recruits. You hardly ever hear Al Golden's name mentioned in, in any kind of way other than like in passing. And that's something's got to get better. 
Jaden Osbury is a good example of someone that did, that does that did talk heavily about Al Golden, like without being prompted to right. it. So that is one good area. Right. You just need a lot more of those. Right. Obviously, the, 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 the issue there was the relationship was already established. He just had to come in and sell his defense, and that's fine. And that's what he was needed. But a big part of this now with the twenty four class is you've got to be part of the relationship establishing aspect as well. I know Al Golden can recruit. I know he can. He used to be really good at it. The question is, does he want to recruit? That's the question. And if he does, he'll be fine. And look, look, here's the thing. I've I've spent a lot of time being critical of Al Golden. Part of it is because I have high expectations for Al Golden because I think I, I do believe he's a very smart football coach. I know that he's a good position coach when he wants to be, and I know he's been a good recruiter in the past when he wants to be. I just can get concerned that some of his offers that he has been pushing for have been a little bit lazy, to be honest with you. Those low-hanging fruit kids that are easy to get, instead of saying, hey, yeah, that's a nice player, but we've got to push for this guy. Well, yeah, yeah, but you got to battle Ohio State and Alabama. Then so be it. You're going to lose 19 out of 20 of those battles, but the one you win is going to be a darn good football player. And so you can recruit both. It doesn't have to be either or, and that's what I get tired of. Is, well, you, you're going to lose all those five stars, so just don't recruit them. Well, They've gotten some though, and if you don't fight for any of them, then you're not going to get any of them. You got to fight for them, knowing you're going to lose most of those battles. But when you win them, it's worth it. And you know that's kind of where I want to be. Like, look, Chancey Stucky lost some recruiting battles last year. He lost to Carnell Tate. He went after Noah Rogers, couldn't get any traction there. They went after Brandon Innes and couldn't get any traction there. I mean, kind of list. They went after Jalen Hale, couldn't get any traction there. Rodney There's Gallagher. a list of guys, right? Yeah. That yeah. they lost, but he rec- he was going after nothing but big fish. So when he did land guys, he still got big fish. Yes. And so at the end of the day, he still put together one of the best recruiting classes in the entire country because you're going to lose those battles. The question is, is are you fighting enough of them that when you do win them, you're getting difference makers? And that's where we're at. I mean, look, <clears throat> Dylan McCullough lost some recruiting battles, right? Sure. He wanted Richard Young, didn't get him. But he, he was shooting for, for studs. I mean, that's why they moved on from Cedric Irvin Jr. And guess what they got? They got a stud, right? A stud. And, and so I think that's kind of where I'm at, Ryan, is you've got to shoot for the big fish. And knowing yep. you're going to lose a lot of those battles and, and, and go get them. If you're not willing to fight for those guys, then this isn't the place for you, in my opinion. And that's the stance Coach Freeman needs to have. That doesn't mean you only fight for those guys. Also, go out and find those sleepers. Go yep. find the Brandon Hillmans. Go find the Armel Mookums. Go find the Bubakar Traors Caleb as Smith's. well. Bingo. Yeah. Caleb Smith right. as well. But it's got to be that balance, right? Yep. Not every recruit has to be Charles Jagasaw. But I also don't want all five O-line recruits to be Joe Otting. It's got to be that balance. And, and I think they've found it at some positions. Now Coach Gold needs to find it. Coach Washington needs to find it. And if they can, then they're going to be just fine. They're going to be just fine. But the guys that, to me, are thriving, it's Coach Stuckey, Mike Mickens, Coach Heastan, uh, Coach McCullough, and and that's kind of my thriving group right there. Uh, the guys that are just kind of getting the job done, I think Chris O'Leary's kind of just doing an okay job, just kind of doing his job, not thriving but not being bad uh, with this most recent class. And then the guys that aren't getting it done is you got to throw Al Washington, Al Golden, into that category, in my opinion. Um, Brian Mason's another guy that that I don't quite know what his role is as a recruiter when it comes to high school prospects, but they've been scouring the country. They've got some really good walk-ons. 
So yeah. his how you evaluate him as Ryan is completely different. He's looking yes. for the walk-ons because their strategy seems to be we're going to be very picky with giving scholarships out to high school specialists. So your job is to find that kid that can get the job done, but also comes from a family that can afford to pay for him to go to Notre Dame. Your job is to scour the transfer portal and find that Ivy League kid who's willing to come here and punt for us on his own dime, which is what they've now done two years in a row. Right. So it's a little different animal for him. And so he's kind of in a category all by himself, in my opinion. Right. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah. And I, I think that the one good thing about the majority of the staff, because again, we're talking about two coaches that we feel like are not up to snuff, right? For the most part. And, you know, obviously Chris O'Leary needs to get better. There's no doubt. He still has questions he needs to answer. But for the majority, the one thing that I do like, and, and I, I use Chancey Stuckey as the example all the time, it's like, yeah, he's going after the elite players. It wasn't like you missed out on Brandon Innes and Cardinal Tate, so now we're going to go to Braylon James, right? Like Braylon James was a part of that net. <laughs> like that's an elite player according to the staff, right? You set the net, but then also you keep evaluating. You keep finding those players. And, I mean, we talked about the – the preferred walk-ons that Notre Dame got in 2023, even Brian, it's like to get a Luke Tolich out of, out of Wyoming that had Pac-12 offers. Like that is phenomenal, man. Great job by the staff to identify the Jordan a kid. on kids. Another one, Jordan, Henry Faison. Garrity. Yeah. And they're bringing in some legit good football players. That had, uh, that I mean, again, Jordan face had a offer from Iowa. Luke Tolich had an offer from Utah, from Washington state, Henry Garrity had some interest and had multiple Division One offers. Like you're finding he would, players, and he would have more if his last name wasn't Garrity. Sure, let's be honest about that. Because yeah. once he commits to Notre Dame, you're like, okay, his dad played in the NBA, so you know he can afford to send his kid to Notre Dame. He's a Notre Dame legacy. We're not getting that kid. I mean, that's that may not be fair, but once it the, it came out that he was looking at Notre Dame as a walk on, it's like, okay, we're not gonna we're not gonna waste our time there because he doesn't need the scholarship. He's gonna go play at Notre Dame. Yes. So, I mean, to your point, though, Ryan, he'd be another one that would have, I think, some Power 5 offers if it wasn't for the fact his last name was Garrity and he had already kind of committed to be a walk-on at Notre Dame. If his name was Henry Johns and nobody knew who he was, right, like who his dad was, his dad was just some guy, you know, trying to help his kid get to college and he wasn't some former, you know, pro basketball player who went to Notre Dame, then he'd probably have a different offer list to, to to your point. So, yeah, it's an impressive group. It really and and I, I just think it's so different, Brian, because, I mean, I'll be honest, like over the last few years, like I see some of the kids that are walk-ons for Notre Dame, and I'm just like, it's an okay player, you know? But like Luke Tollick is going to be a completely different looking preferred walk-on than what's usually walking at Notre Dame, man. Like that's, again, I, I honestly, and I, I think we may have talked about this, but when all the whole Peyton Bowen saga went, went crazy, what was going crazy, right? I wouldn't have been shocked if they were just like, Luke, we're, we're actually going to give you a scholarship and you're one of the scholarship safeties. Like, I wouldn't be, have been shocked. Yeah. I think the kid's really talented. I do. Oh, so. he won't be a walk-on for very long in my I opinion. don't think so, man. I really no. don't. I mean, like that – would you, would you be surprised, even though he's a walk-on freshman, if he came in and he was on special teams at some point this year and kind of getting his earn a little a, bit? Like A I little wouldn't. bit. A little, a little bit, bit. Only because of the way that they handled it this past year where they didn't even put like Jalen Sneed and Nolan Ziegler and Josh Burnham on special teams, that'd be the only reason why, Ryan, not because of him. It wouldn't surprise me because of him. It would surprise me because he's a freshman, right? So if he's if they decide to go a young route 
and he's no, that's no, no. If you've got him and Allsbury and Drake Bowen all out there and Preston Zinner all out there, wouldn't surprise surprise me if yeah. they decide to go that route. So my only surprise would come not has nothing to do with Luke Talich. It's just nah. they didn't throw those freshmen out there as much next year. Here's the only caveat that I would throw in there, Ryan. Yeah. From a from a talent standpoint, agree with you 100 percent 100 percent that that kick you go down and cover kickoffs right now. Yes. Right yep. now. Yep. But I'd want to save the year of eligibility. That's fair. That'd be my only thing from a roster development standpoint. You know, because then you still get four years out of him after this year. Let him get a year of building up his weight. Because I think he's going to eventually move down closer to the ball. I think so. And so yeah. I want to have a year where I can build his body up. Because I don't necessarily need him on special teams this year. I want to get four more. I want to get four years of him playing, and or five years of him being a part of this program is the is the direction I'd want to go if I'm Notre Dame. And he could be That'd easily. Be I mean, to your point, he could be a 6'3", 210, 250-pound rover before too long, right? By his Just sophomore like, year. Exactly. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So that would be the reason I would say no to that one is, is because of that. But, again, none of that has anything to do with Luke Talich's talent or ability to do you, the job. You know, you know what's funny, though, is that some first-team offensive players all year are going to be like, Darn, dude! Can that Talik kid just chill out on scout team, uh, scout team defense here? Can he just chill? Like he just knocked me out. It's supposed to be thud right now, and he just knocked me on my butt in, in team, right? And, and that's just gonna be that type of kid. And you need those kids, man, to give them looks. I mean, could you imagine? Even though Jordan Faison is playing, even though he's going to play slot receiver at Notre Dame, Navy week leading up to the first week of the season, throw him in at some at some. Uh, at some uh, Triple option quarterback? Like, heck yeah. I mean, right. that kid literally did that in high school. So, right. Absolutely. Oh, good. Very, very good question, Scott. It sp- sparks some very good conversation. Let's get down here. Actually, I did want to bring up a comment here, real quick, from Lucas yeah. Deason. Lucas said, one year anniversary today as an IB YouTube viewer. Happy anniversary, Lucas. Welcome. Well, not welcome, but uh, we're, we're grateful. Very grateful. I've been a good year. Love the content you guys are pushing out and the growth within the channel. Props to Ryan and his new draft show first episode. So YouTube had some funkiness going on last night, so we didn't get it up until probably like around 11 or so, but it is out. It's on the CFB Nation channel. Ryan's first draft show was very well done. It was obviously a breakdown of some of the risers of the Senior Bowl, and then also we answered some draft questions. Now, keep in mind, when we put stuff out on CFB Nation, it is not a Notre Dame-centric show. Right, But there will be some times where we do talk about Notre Dame's prospects because they have some important draft prospects. But definitely go check that out, Ryan. It was very excellent work. And, of course, Lucas, thank you very, very much for being with us and for everyone else that's been with us. You know, my wife made fun of me, though, for that because she was like, you talked by yourself for 45 minutes. I'm like, yes, I did. I did do yep. that. <laughs> but see, you're envisioning the audience on the other side. It's not just yes. that you're talking to yourself, it, it, but it can be a little weird. It can be a little weird. And then you look at it and like, yes, and I got paid for it. That's what you say. Right, to right. That's right. Here we go. Jordan Pinheiro says, and thank you, Jordan. He says, have we heard anything about how Justin Scott's recruitment has progressed? Any timelines on will he will eventually commit somewhere? No, no, no timelines right now, Jordan. I mean, obviously, he was sp- supposed to make a college decision on the 31st. Everything, and honestly, we'd heard this from multiple sources, including directly from Justin himself through Sean Davis, that Justin just felt like he was just making too rush of a decision, right? Like, that's all ultimately where it came down to. We still haven't changed our opinion on where Notre Dame stands right now, obviously, right? But there's obviously a lot of work to do 
because now there is no official timeline. I still expect it not to last straight past maybe the next couple months, but I expect Justin to also make a couple visits to a couple schools, right, and to see things and to make a really, really informed decision when he ultimately does pull the trigger. So no official timeline. I wouldn't anticipate it going much – I don't anticipate it going further than the summer based upon, like, everything that we've gathered, everything we've heard. That's just my pulse on the situation – Notre Dame, I think, is still in a good spot, but there's now you know competition, obviously, against the Georges of the world. Michigan was already in the conversation. He went out to USC a few weeks ago. So Notre Dame's going to have to battle for this one, and they're, they're still, I would say, in the driver's seat, but there's people trying to catch up to him right behind him, obviously. So have to close on him because he's a very important player, five-star defensive tackle out of Chicago. Let's go to the next question here. We've got one up here from Tommy Guns. He says, how many coaches does Freeman make initial contact with? Is there a coach's board that would be similar to recruiting board with plan A and plan B guys? It's not quite like that, but it's similar, Tommy. There's some carryover. And how many coaches will be on it depends on how many he needs to have on it. And and what that means is if – I can assure you that Marcus Freeman has a list, a short list of guys he's going to want to talk to if the time comes. If one of those guys is someone he knows that he has a relationship with and he already knows what they bring to the table, there's not necessarily need for a formal interview, then it could happen quickly and he won't won't have a very long list. If that initial guys are, you know, kind of happy where they are or just not a, maybe a not a great fit, he has a guy that's on his short list that's been on a short list. Because here's what happens when you're an assistant coach. You put together a list of coaches you've coached with or against that you'd love to have on your staff when you're a head coach. And so you may say, hey, look, I've always respected this. Here's an example. Boy, I love the job Alex Atkins is doing at Florida State. Boy, he did a really nice job with this offense this year. But then you look and say, but that doesn't make sense because I've got the best O-line coach in the business, and I don't know what I'd have him coach. Okay, we'll have him coach tight ends. Okay, then what do you do with Jared Parker, who you have a lot of respect for? Sure. You move him to receivers and move Chancey Stuckey to quarterbacks? Is that really the way to get your best five group of guys together? Maybe, maybe not. So you have to think about those things. So Maybe that guy isn't someone that makes sense for you now, so you've got to expand your list a little bit. You know, maybe the guy you want is your offensive coordinator, someone who's a great receivers coach, but you really like the receivers coach you have and you don't have a quarterback's coach. Or maybe it's a running back guy. So you have to look at those things and say, my boys wanted to work with this guy, but it just doesn't make sense right now because of the makeup of my staff I really like. And I need a guy that can coach quarterbacks or a guy that can coach tight ends or whatever the case may be. And then look at it that way. So that's part of it, too. And that's going to determine how far down you go your list of coaches, you know, because that's just that's just how it works. And that's true for all coaches. You know, all coaches may say, hey, I, I've, I've always wanted to work with this guy, but the timing isn't right. Well, why isn't the timing not right? Because he coaches this position and I already have the best in the business at that position. So I would weaken myself at one position to get him as my coordinator. That doesn't make sense for me. So the timing's not right. Let's say that that position's open opens up. I've got a great quarterbacks coach. It opens up two years later. That guy is still out there. I now have an opening at quarterbacks coach and a coordinator. Hey man, let's make this work because the timing is better. So that's that'll right there. Honestly, Tommy will be what determines how far down the list he has to go uh, of his or the list he already has is you know what are the, those guys coaches. But I promise you, every assistant coach that has any aspirations of being a head coach has a list of people they know or they've know they've gone against that they would hire. I did. I absolutely knew who my, you know, when I was coaching, it was like, if I get a head coaching job, I know who my defensive coordinator is going to be. I already knew who it was, right? I knew who my running backs coach was going to be. And so 
And that's just that's just kind of how it was, right? And and I guarantee you, Marcus Freeman has that kind of list, and that'll be the first place he goes to to kind of look at, okay, who do I want to talk to, right? And let's say he has a list of six, three of those guys just the fit's not right. Then he may say, okay, I got three. I'll start reaching out to those guys, but we need to be doing some digging on some of these other guys. Plus, you have to be allow for some new names to emerge, right? So, two three years ago, the offensive coordinator at Kansas is not someone we know about. But now sure. you look at the job he's done with quarterbacks and that offense at Kansas, you're like, hey, this guy maybe wasn't on my radar before, and I like these three on my list, but I, I need to talk to that guy. Right. Whereas a couple of years ago, that guy's not on your radar. I mean, three years ago, when Alabama's – or a couple of years ago, when Alabama's looking to hire Bill O'Brien to replace Steve Sarkeesian, I can promise you Tommy Reese was not someone that Nick Saban was thinking about because the timing wasn't right. The fit wasn't right. He didn't have the experience. Two years later – He's now on his list. So the, the list also has to evolve as well. Right. And that's going to make it a bigger list of guys you're going to work through. And you got to find the right fit. And I like that you mentioned people that you coach against. Because I, I feel like people miss that sometimes, right? They always think about, well, who has Marcus Freeman coached with in the past, right? Who has he been on previous staffs with? And it's an understandable thing because that does have some weight, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Al Washington's here now, right? Jared Parker's here now. Like those are guys – that coach Freeman had coached with in the past. So that makes sense, those connections, but also on the other side of things, right? You have to remember, Marcus Freeman was a defensive coordinator, right? So a lot of things in his mind would be like, huh, if I need a new offensive coordinator, who are offensive coordinators in the past that I hated going against that really gave me big challenges and made me have to think as a coach and then really kind of second-guess myself, make adjustments? And I think that you have to also consider – who has he seen and who has impressed him and who are those types of guys as well. So it's not just about your connections on previous staffs. It's also about the connections of who are guys that impressed you as competitors in that, in that certain, in that um, scenario. You have to be careful because sometimes that can lead you hiring John Tenuto. I'm serious. Part of the reason Charlie Weiss hired John Tenuto is because John Tenuto tore his defense up, his offense up in the opener of the 26, 2006 season. But that, that's why you got to do a little bit more due diligence than that. That's yeah. what gets a guy's name on your list. But then you got to still do your due diligence with that guy a little bit more than you got to do a guy on your staff. Because you're absolutely right, Ryan. This guy's, this guy's team is always ready. They're always coached well. They do this. They kick our butt every year. But then you start breaking their film down further, and you're like, yeah, but he can't stop this type of offense. And he only faced that twice a year at his school. He's going to face that six times a year here. May not be the same fit. So all of that kind of factors into it. But, yes, I, I actually think sometimes it's who you went against can sometimes have an even greater impact on your desire to want to work with them than who you have worked with in the past. It can really have an impact. I mean, this guy this guy ripped my defense up every single time we played him. I want to look into that. I think it also takes bias out a little bit too, right? It's like I don't have any, I don't have any direct connection with this person personally, right? Like I don't know him. I can just make a very – in-depth decision, very informed decision, because I know what he does as a football coach. I don't know if I like him personally, but I know what he does as a football coach. And then also later down the line, if he's not doing a great job, you don't have as much connection as maybe another guy, right? Which makes those decisions even tougher. So I think that in a lot of areas, that actually is a big bonus, not knowing them personally, just keeping it on service to how good of a football coach is that guy, right? What does he do that really gives people difficulty? I think there's a lot of merit to that conversation. 
And we had a question from Brian. He says, I can't believe it. I made a live show. Yeah, What's up, fellas? He's just fired up. Yeah, yes. he's fired up. So wanted to get wanted to get that up there as well. Here's a good one, Ryan. Here, here's yeah. I'll ask this one of you from John A1. What are the similarities and differences between Donovan Heinish and Kurt Heinish? Well, Donovan's a little longer than Kurt. Kurt was, I mean, he was about six foot two with not the best length of the, in the world. Donovan's a little longer. I think he's a little more athletic as well, a little more flexible. Look, Kurt was a pure nose tackle, right? Like he is going one direction and he is going to beat you up to do it, right? Tough guy. Donovan, I think, has some of those same similarities in the sense that he's a really tough football player, but I do think he has more upside than what Kurt Heinish does because I think he's a little longer, I think he's a little more athletic, and I think he has a little more alignment versatility, right? Like, you know, I'm sure that he could probably grow into a true nose down the line, but Kurt was just a nose. Like, you weren't going to move him out to three tech or four, four eye, do any of that stuff. You can do a little bit more with Donovan Heinish just because he has a little bit more of a longer body and a little more athleticism, in my opinion. The one thing you see in common with the two of them is motor. They both yeah. play with great motors. I mean, look, Kurt's bigger. That's really the advantage that he has on Donovan. Donovan's athleticism, like Ryan said, athleticism, quickness, agility, playmaking ability, all that's better than Donovan from Donovan. And I think Kurt would probably tell you that. But Kurt was big and strong and had a tremendous motor and great heart. And that's not something that's necessarily in your DNA. That's sometimes just kind of who you are. Uh, as far as DNA meaning like passed down, like, you know, genetically yeah. I got my height, my size, my whatever from my, my dad or whatever the case may be. But man, he, uh, he, he is a guy that to me is got a lot of tools, right? It's just, I wish he had Kurt's size. That would be my thing. If you could put his athleticism and Kurt's size together, it's a really good football player because he's got a lot of tools to work with. There's no yeah. doubt. Let's get down here to a question from Brian Hockney. There we go, Brian. Thank you. Brian's question, what are your thoughts on 2024 wide receiver Quasi Gilmer? Where would you project him to play on the next level? Well, I I mean, so Quasi Gilmer, for people that don't know, he's a wide receiver out of California in the class of 2024. He was offered this past week by, or yeah, this past week by, by Coach Stuckey. So he's a really interesting player, Brian. He really is. Uh, He averaged about 20 yards a catch last year. He's got some length to him, but he really has long strides. So I don't think that he's necessarily the fastest athlete of all time. Like, I don't think that he's going to run like 4-4 something, right? Like, I don't think he's going to be a blazer. But he really eats up a lot of dirt with that long strides he has. And he's a vertically oriented player. And the one great thing, I think that we talked about this, Brian, I can't remember, but he's got great body control down the field as well. Can really contort his body and finish through contact, all type of stuff. So... We talked about Coach Stuckey not just going after the big dogs, but also finding a little bit of these gems. I think Quasi Gilmer definitely is, has some of those qualities to him. Where would he project? I mean, at wide receiver, I think that he's a, the, the guy to the field, right, all the way on the outside because I think that he's got kind of some smoothness to him. He's got that long stride. I don't think he's necessarily a quick twitch athlete, so he's not going to be like a slot, and I don't know if he has the – requisite speed to be like a uh, you know the w into the boundary in notre dame system but i think to the field he's got a good combination of you know the, that long stride and that athleticism along with size that he could be a really a really nice weapon out there in my opinion the thing about him ryan is do, let me ask you this do you view him as yeah. a boundary no no i want okay. him to the fields yeah why 
Because I, I don't think that he is the – I don't think he's incredibly fast, so I don't know if he'll mm-hmm. consistently get on top of guys and man-to-man coverage into the boundary. I think that he's more a he's – a, he's kind of a long, slender-built wide receiver that I don't want to be pressed a ton, right? Like I want him to be have a little more space to work with, if that makes sense. Okay, let's get to this next one here from Domerson's Birth. Gents, any comment on Brandon Davis Swain's video from his visit to CU? I know you won't say anything bad about specific kids. But do you think there are some pursuing uh, CU to put up their stock? So, Ryan, did you see the video? I don't uh, look when he decommitted. No. We knew Notre Dame wasn't going to recruit him anymore. So, yeah. I really haven't paid attention to his recruitment. So, no. uh, but well, but to the second part, are there kids that are going to look at CU to up their stock and their visibility? Absolutely. In this no world of NIL, you'd be silly not to go to a program that's not going to bring you a spotlight and a name brand, and especially when you go to a program that has a roster that's not very good you're going to immediately walk in and be a name brand guy. You go to Notre Dame, you're just an, another guy. You go to Alabama, you're just – got to prove yourself. You're a big-name recruit that goes to Colorado. You are the guy that walks in with all the, the you know, the the bragging rights or the, or the persona or the, the marketability is probably the best right. word to use. So, yeah, you're going to see some guys do that. And I, I would say this too, Brian. I mean, that's what Colorado has going for them right now, right? That's I mean, right. they were not a good product last year. They're replenishing the roster. They have a brand, though, at the top with Deion Sanders, obviously, right? Like they have a a proven brand and they have the ability to, I think, get a little bit of that glitz and glamour from the Colorado name right now. There's nothing tangible about it. Like they're not a national title contender. They weren't even a very good football team in general last year. And they're a rebuilding program. But they do have some fanfare right now because they have primetime at top. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't doubt at all that. I mean, look. People hate the NIL stuff to a degree, the the ways that it's used incorrectly. But if I'm a student athlete right now, I am improving my personal brand as much as I possibly can. I know th- people think it's silly, but like no, you make yourself yeah. worth. You need yourself Here, worth. Here's the deal. Yeah, for players in college, they should absolutely be worried about their brand. Because look, what's the statistic? Like six percent of kids that play college football are going to go in the NFL. So that means. A lot of these kids have a four to five year window to make as much money as possible off of their name, image, and likeness. Now, smart kids also understand that I got to put into work because my brand no longer means a whole lot if I'm not good at this football thing, right? And so there's a desire to do that. But yeah, why not take advantage of that? That's how that's what men I was supposed to be, right? Where hey, look, you go out there and and you're a great player and you're doing this, you're doing that. Like we saw something from uh, Brock Bowers yesterday. Where Brock Bauer said any money that he's being offered by the Georgia collectives, he says, I don't want, give it to the other players. Right. Because his thing is he's going to go out and get it off of brands. He's going to get money off brands, which means I know I can market myself this way. And I'm going to, my real money is going to be made this way. So what I want you to do is go focus over here and, and give the, that money to these guys. And that's kind of the thing. And so you're going to see some of that too, but Look, if you're a big name player, why not do that? Why not use your your niche to do that? That's what NIL is supposed to be about. Yes. Now I think there's other things too. Like, hey, if your institution is going to put you on a billboard, you know that that's meant to attract people to the stadium, you should get something from that, right? You should get a cut of that. There's all those type of things that that should be that I think should go into those things that the school should be involved in. It. If you're going to sell jerseys in the school, then you know what the players should get a cut of that whether you want to give it a cut of it to all the players, or if you want to just give it to the player whose jersey is being sold, I think they should take a cut of jerseys. I think if if it was up to me and I was the NCAA, I would do this. I'd pass a law 
that every institution that sells jerseys, they got to take a cut of that 10%, 15% of their jersey sales and, and put that in a, a fund that goes to the players at the end of every year. And you split it up between all the players. Those are absolutely things that they should be doing. But then, of, of course, to really make money, you've got to sell your own name. And, and, and so I have no problem with a kid saying, hey, I was down to four schools. I liked all of them, but this one gives me an opportunity to be in a market where I think I can really build myself up. I mean, if a kid really is that involved in NIL, sure, okay, I guess, whatever. But the reality is, is that's not what most kids are going to be making their decision off of that are big-time players because those guys still understand that my real money is going to come from the NFL. And you're seeing a lot of these kids like Jaden Rashada who were making the decision for the wrong reasons. They were going somewhere that was about money and money only, and you're you're screwing yourself to a degree because you need to go somewhere you can develop yourself. And that's what I think made Nico's decision so smart. Nico had offers on the table. He didn't go to Tennessee simply because they were the biggest financial offer. He went to Tennessee he's, because he said, my skill set fits that really well, and this coach has proven that he can develop quarterbacks like me. You know, long-limbed, you know, big-armed, kind of raw type of passers, and he can develop into, into what Hendon Hooker was. And so Nico put some thought into, yes, I want to get the maximum NIL deal, but I also need to make sure I'm going somewhere that's going to help develop me as a quarterback. Jaden Rashada didn't make a similar decision. Now, he ultimately ended up doing that, and I think he's now going to a place that may not give him the money he's going to make right now. He's not going to get $13 million from Arizona State. But he's going somewhere under with Kenny Dillingham with a much better track record of producing big-time production at the quarterback position. That's much better for you than NIL, right? And this is a misnomer about Keon Keeley, right? Everybody thinks Keon went to Bama because they gave him the biggest financial deal. I can say with a, a 98% certainty that Keon left money on the table to go to Bama. Why? Because Keon's betting on Bama developing him into a top 10 NFL draft pick. That's where the real money is. And Keon gets that. And that's why he made that decision. And a lot of people think, oh, I just took the money. No, he didn't. He went somewhere that he thought was going to develop him for the next level. And that's what smart kids are doing. But it also doesn't mean you completely ignore the opportunity to go somewhere and market yourself. And I think that's what the smart kids are doing. That's that's really what it comes down to. All right. Good question. Really good question so far. Let's get to some more here. We've got one from Ryan Schultz. He goes, just curious to save and reach out to Freeman before he talks to Reese out of courtesy, or is it just the wild West? I don't, I don't know the particulars of this. My understanding is, is that Reese went to Freeman and let him know that there was interest there. I do not believe that Nick Saban reached out to him. And that's usually how it goes. Unfortunately, I think there should be a level of respect in that. If you're going to talk to a guy, you let that head coach know. But unfortunately, that doesn't happen often in college football. I was about to say, I, I don't, I don't really remember too many stories of that ever happening. <laughs> like, like that. I'm thinking about it. You know, it's usually directly to the assistant, and then that's just kind of how that works, I guess. Right? I mean, I'll say this: at least Tommy let Marcus know because yes. I'm, there's been some assistants that just don't tell anything, and then yeah. it's just, oh, I'm leaving. By the way, <laughs> you know, like that's it's a yeah. Lane Kiffin did that, yep. for instance. You know, there's been guys yep. that've done that a lot. So, yep. All right, let's get to this next question here from uh, – let's go up here from 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 John A1. So he says, how would you evaluate Holden Stace's 2022 play? What is his ceiling at Notre Dame? I mean, I think it's positive that he got onto the field, right? I mean, I, mean, I think that's – not something we expected at first. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, the fact that he got onto the field because I know he obviously dealt with the injury prior, right? So – 
it was nice to see. And even and that was even before Eli Raritan got injured. You saw some of Holden's face, right? So, I mean, the production's obviously now you're not going to knock your socks off. You only have one catch on the season. But I think the fact that Holden got some playing time, got his feet wet, I think that that really does give you a nice little baseline to build off of this offseason into the spring and into the fall because he's, you know, he's seen the field, right? Like it's not a foreign thing to him. And now you're expecting with Eli coming back from the injury again and Kevin Bauman obviously banged up and all those good things that along with Mitchell Evans, you're expecting Holden Stace to really grab some momentum this offseason. So I, I think that it was a big opportunity, John, in my opinion, for Holden to just see the fields. I think it's a good, you know, it was a good chance for him to just see some live action, see how fast the game's going. And now you can start to really build off of this as offseason and hopefully grab a, a big role for this offense, which I think they need to find who that second tight end is behind Mitchell. And I think that Holden has as good a chance as anybody, obviously, with the health of certain guys. Yeah. Let's get to another question here. We've got one from uh, – we got Jordan's uh, – oh, here we go. Here's one from Jordan Pinheiro. Do you think having potentially two new coordinators, if the golden rumors end up being true, would mess up continuity through enough to put our NC high run hopes in jeopardy next season? Well, let me just let me just speak to that. I put this on the message board earlier. A lot of this Al Gold in the NFL stuff is way premature. And yeah. somebody sent me a, 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 a screenshot of what was reported on another site, and it was incredibly vague. And it's no different than what we've already said in the past, which is, is Al Golden interested in going back to the NFL? Yeah, he is. Uh, are there NFL teams that will have some interest in Al Golden? Yeah, there are. That's kind of a given. But right now, the the post also said, but there's nothing going on right now. Then what the freaking heck are we putting it out there for? Other than just to get people to, you know, talk about it or whatever, or click on it or whatever and, the case and, may and be. To, and to say you were the first to report it. Right, I guess. Like, yeah, but yeah. my whole thing is... It's fine to put it out there if that's what you want to do. I'm not blaming anybody, but like what we do is we deal in actual facts and reality. If there's a specific NFL team that reaches out and begins that process, then we'll talk about it. Until then, it's just I'm thinking, you know, yes, I have some interest, but it'd have to be the right place. And yes, they have some interest, but they may have three or four people that like more. And then what have we done? We spend a month talking about him going back to the NFL and then he doesn't go. Right. So when there comes something to talk about it, we'll talk about it. Having said that, I do want to answer Jordan's question because it is a very fair question. I just needed to address that. Um, and to you, Jordan, I'm, that comment wasn't to you. That wasn't to you. Uh, it's just in general because I know this is being brought up a lot. But it, does it hurt mess up continuity enough to put your national championship ho run hopes in jeopardy next season? I don't think so. Because number one, I don't think Marcus Freeman's going to bring in a coordinator that runs a completely different offense. Like he's not going to go out and get an air raid coordinator, right? I mean, he just he's just not going to do that. He's yeah. going to find someone that, that comes from a similar philosophy of pro style offense, and then you know you'll have all spring and all summer and all fall to teach those guys kind of what they're doing. And same thing with uh, when you look at you know, the defensive side of the ball. Look, you're going to bring in somebody that's going to kind of do some things you're going to do, and then it's up to the coach to adapt to sort of the terminology and that's what happens with a lot of these instances ryan is they'll they'll, they'll kind of change their ter terminology and the terminology you know like or they'll change their schemes but they'll keep the, the adopt as much of the terminology as possible yep. to try to help with it because if you're going to teach a new scheme but you're teaching it with the same framework of you know sort of 
okay, we're going to teach these new concepts, but we're using language and terms you already are comfortable with, then it'll be a lot easier for you guys to pick it up as opposed to having to learn new schemes and new language. It's actually easier to learn new schemes than it is to learn new terminology, in my opinion. Okay. It's like, I mean, it's literally, it's not literally, it's it's similar to where if you, you speak English and you try to learn Spanish. You know, it's the same words, but you've got to learn to communicate them in a completely different form, and you're not going to be as comfortable and it, it, you may get a call and doesn't quite register quite right away, uh, where if you keep the other part the same, then you're you're in a much better position. So I, I think okay. they'll do a lot of that as well. But I can say that vaguely, Jordan, but then there could be the potential where there are hires that are going to try to do some stuff that's so much different that it does create some, some continuity issues. So it's potential that it could create continuity problems. There's no doubt. It's just... It doesn't, in theory, it doesn't do that. It, it, and more along the lines of who is the specific hire. Sure. And 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 that would be the thing. Like, if you get one of those coaches that's just dead set on, we're going to do it my way, and and this is how we're going to do it, and I don't care what anybody else does, and, you know, and and then that's not going to work. But I don't think Marcus Freeman is going to be bringing in that kind of guy. Sure. So, and I also want to point out too that when Alabama won the title in 2017, that was the first year of Brian Dable, and it was the first year of Tosh uh, Luapau being uh, on the staff as co-coordinators. So, there's instances where that's been something that's benefited them, and um, I also think I could be wrong on this. I, I let, actually let me just let me look this up first because I don't want to I don't want to be wrong on this this one. Uh, yes, I would have been wrong. Oh, no. So here we go. So in 2015, the year that uh, Clemson made their their run to the the, the title game, uh, their coordinators, they're, they're, they brought they had two new coordinators. Now, they had kind of been on staff a little bit, but those were guys that run in the offense. They were going from the, what Chad Morris was doing to what they were doing, and there was certainly some similarities. So, I mean, we've, we've seen in the past where coaches have made changes, and those changes immediately went out and paid off. And sometimes it doesn't. It just depends specifically right. on who those guys would be. I mean, and and that's why it's an incomplete question, honestly. And, and Jordan, again, like if I knew, like if this did happen, this scenario where you're replacing both coordinators, I really need to know who the next guys are, right? Because at, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm just it's just speculation at that point. But if you have coordinator X that I know a little bit about, I can say like, eh, I think he'll probably mesh pretty well. I think he'll be able to get in there or there might be a little bit of a learning curve. So it's an imperfect answer, but it's one that we'll deal with if we have to deal with it at some point this off season. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Let's get to some more questions here. We've got one here, two-parters, well, kind of two segments from MT41. He says, I think the world of Tom Maurice, but he's been inconsistent throughout his OC career. Do you think that he's not ready for the Alabama job yet? We've seen uh, he can be uh, he can be elite, South Carolina, Oklahoma State, et cetera. But we've also seen way too many Stanford and Marshall game plans from him. Alabama won't put up with those game plans. Do you genuinely think he needs more time to develop? Uh, I mean, I, I can't say that in good faith. Because I, I feel like we were kind of fired up to see what he could do with Notre Dame next year. I don't disagree with some of those inconsistencies. We could talk all day about why did that happen and why did you have this game and that game and those kind of things, but those things happened, right? And and so clearly Nick Saban sees enough of him to think that he's ready for the job. I mean, people say, well, he, other people have turned him down. It's not like he got turned down by 13 people. And then like the last guy remaining is Tommy Reese, right? For they, we only know of one guy that's turned him down and that's grub. And and yes. that's even, I'm not hundred percent sure of that. I, I I'm confident saying that Ryan, but I'm not hundred percent sure. He, he was, I, I did. Re, I did reach out to someone yesterday. He okay. was offered. He was, offered I don't think Levy was offered the job. I don't think so either. No. So I think there's only been for sure one guy that's been reached out to and been offered the job other than Tommy Reese. So it's not like Nick Saban had to go through his Rolodex for like five minutes to, <laughs> well, I guess we have to go with Tommy Reese, you know, coached against him a couple of years ago. <laughs> and you know Mario Cristobal wanted him. And like we have another question down here that that, that I'm going to get to as part of this conversation too, because I just want to get this all out now. Yeah. Some of you, and I'm not talking about UMT. The, your your questions are valid, but some of the others, y'all you, y'all need to get out of your feelings a little bit, and and kind of get out of your own heads for a second. You know, this is a question from John, who I'm just going to flat out say it. You're 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 kind of a Reese hater at this point in time. You're not being rational. Point one, at what point do results matter? The results for Reese have been terrible. A, that's an incredible, incredible overstatement. Why do people see him as a great mind? Number two, perception is only reality in the military. Why do other coaches perceive Reese as a great offensive mind? I just want you to use some common sense for just two seconds, okay? Could it be that all these coaches that think that might know something a little bit more than you do when it comes to the perception of Tommy Reese? Maybe, just maybe, that all these coaches that think highly of Tommy Reese, that maybe you're in your feelings a little bit and you might be off because you're looking at this from an emotional standpoint, and I don't know what it is. Maybe you're pissed about the Stanford or Marshall game. Valid. Maybe you're one of those people that will – you know, I have a friend of mine who will never root for Tommy Reese because he fumbled the ball against Michigan in 2011 when they were going in for the game, you know, for the just back-breaking score against him. Okay, that's fine, but at least he admits that. At least my buddy admits that. Like, hey, look, it's irrational, and I don't, you know, I, I, he might have called a good game against Clemson, but I mean, Notre Dame could go out there and score six hundred, score sixty points, and have seven hundred yards of offense in the championship game, and he will celebrate that championship. But he'll still say, "I'm still not giving Tom Reese any credit because he fumbled that ball against Michigan in 2011." At least he's honest about it. Some people aren't honest about it. They think that they have this like deep secret that Nick Saban and Marcus Freeman and Brian Kelly, these other people, me and you, that we, you're just way more savvy about this topic than we are, right? Two things can be true at once. Number one is Tommy Reese had some bad games this year. We have ripped him in this space at times this year. And then the other thing that can be true is also that he is a really smart football coach whose good scheme stuff outweighs, especially the last year and a half, far outweighs the the Marshall and the Stanford's, right? Those games are the not the norm of what Tommy Reese has done the last two years. You just can't argue that if you're being any sort of 
fair about this, right? The Marshall games and Stanford games count, no doubt. But there's going to be a lot of coaches that are going to look at that Stanford game, and it was not a great game plan, Ryan. You and I have said this plenty of times, but there was at least five or six just wide-open receivers. Drew Pine just won't throw the ball. Remember that game? He was so locked in on Michael Mayer, he just won't throw the ball anywhere else when other dudes are just running wide open. A coach yep. is going to look at that. Someone who's not looking at this emotionally is going to look at that and say, okay, with my guys, that's not happening. That's their backup quarterback. With my guys, that ball's going where it needs to go. Now, that may not be true because maybe it was Tommy Reese who didn't properly coach him to get the ball where it needed to go to. That's also a fair point that people may say he was the quarterback's coach. But you also have to be open-minded enough to say, maybe he did teach him, and this happens, but when it come, when the lights get bright, this kid just doesn't respond the way that he does in practice. That's also true. And Ian Book was this way. I'd watch Ian Book in practice. And he would just complete like 90% of his passes. I mean, Ryan, it was insane. He just timing great and all the, and just great money balls. He's back shouldering people to death. And then he'd get to games and it's like captain check down. You know what I mean? And it's just like, dude, I saw you make that throw 10 times on Tuesday. Well, why, why can't you do on Saturday? Is that a coaching thing or is that a player thing? And you know, that's what coaches have to decide. But for people to think that his results have been terrible, that's incredibly misguided. Now, you can look at maybe his recruiting results have been inconsistent. That's very fair. Very fair. But people are going to look at a guy that was 30 years old this year that put together some really good game plans, has coached in some huge games already. I mean, Tommy's 30. He's called games in in the Rose Bowl with a national championship berth on the line. He's coached in the Fiesta Bowl. He's coached in the Gator Bowl. He's coached against Clemson three times in big moments already. He's coached against um, Alabama, as we mentioned. I mean, this is a guy that's coaching some big games. Nick Saban thinks that he's ready. Maybe he isn't. I'm not making a statement on that. I'm not saying that Tommy is ready to go thrive at Alabama. I don't know. He has a lot to prove this year. This is what we talked about in our show, Ryan, is I think Tommy has a chance to be a big-time coordinator. He hasn't proven it yet. And part of the reason I didn't want him to leave was because I want him to prove that. I, I don't want Marcus Freeman and Brian Kelly and Notre Dame and all the people that have kind of helped build Tom Reese up to not get a benefit from all that investment. And then he gets and shows it all at Alabama. Sure. It kind of bothers me a little bit if I'm going to be honest with you. But if you can't see what why people think highly of him, I, I, I don't really know what to tell you, except that maybe you're not looking at this rationally. That's the only thing I can say. But you can you can still see what other people see, Ryan, but still say, yeah, I don't know if he's going to do well there because of this, this, and this. I think that's a fair thing to say as well. But stuff like this is not a rational thing, a r- line of criticism, in my opinion. It's just I, I, not. I, I feel MT's, like uh, MT41s yeah. was much yeah. more, to me, much more rational and and – I think conversational and debatable. I think it's a much more debatable point in my opinion, Ryan. Well, yeah, I mean, it is because he's, I mean, MT just was saying that he's inconsistent, which I would say the same thing. Tommy Reese is inconsistent. I see some really good stuff. And then there's a couple floundering games that really mad, like frustrate you. I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, I would, I would, I would keep it as simple as this, man. Like, I, I feel like I say this all the time, almost on every show now, but it's okay to have middle ground. It's okay. Right. 
Because I have been hard on Tommy after several games, but I've never once said that Tommy Reese is not a smart offensive coordinator. Like I don't, I don't think that. I think Tommy's very sharp, or that he's terrible, right? right? Or, right. or that he's terrible. No, Tommy Reese is a good OC. He's a smart dude. Do I think that there's a level that he needs to get to? Absolutely. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. You can't have some of the clunkers that he has occasionally, right? You can't be inconsistent. There's no doubt about that. But it doesn't make a person terrible. Or it doesn't make them great. The results terrible, right? Exactly. exactly. He has some great flashes. He's a good OC that needs to get to a higher level still, yep. right? But that doesn't mean that he's terrible. He's awful. He doesn't deserve a call a football game. Like that's ridiculous. And or to your point, make you like why in the world? With I mean, y'all, Nick Saban is the greatest coach of our generation. He's not infallible. He makes mistakes. Yes, this may prove to be a mistake. He hired but if Golden, you don't right? think there's something, huh? He hired Pete Golding, right? Bingo. So. <laughs> right, bingo. But if you don't think that there's not something to see there, then right. You know, that's a you problem, not a Nick Saban problem. And that that okay. that's my only point with this. And and look, Tommy Reese could not have come back to Notre Dame next year and been exactly what he was in 2022. It's not good enough. Absolutely. And you say, well, he's got a quarterback now. Yeah. Not enough blame with some people is put on Drew Pine. But with other people, too much blame is put on Drew Pine. Yes, that that that's the thing is like, so you can say with a better quarterback, they would have been better. But you also can say, but I don't think he always did enough to get the most out of Drew Pine as well. 100%. And that's what we say is like, you got to find that rational. I'm not one of those people like you got to find the middle ground. And sometimes the middle ground is, is inaccurate and it is here or here. Sometimes he's terrible. Right? Sometimes yeah. Brian, Brian Van Gorder was terrible. Like there's right. no middle ground there. He was terrible. And he was because yes. he was terrible more often than not. Yes. You know, Tom Maurice has bad has had some bad games. You know who else has had some bad games? Every other coordinator in America, right? That's coached more than a season. And even some of those guys. I mean, Joe Joe Brady had a couple games, Ryan, that I went back and looked, and you know, because I study LSU's 2019 season a lot. And there were games in 2019 where he didn't call a good game. Or, you know, that staff didn't call a good game, didn't have a great game plan. But you know what worked? It worked because they had way better players than everybody else, right? They didn't call a good game against Mississippi State that year. Mississippi State gave him a battle for a while. He didn't call a good game there. But you know why they still won? Because they had way better players. Yeah. And it didn't matter at that point in time. Tom Maurice doesn't have that. So when he does have a, not a great game plan, it's going to be a lot more noticeable because he doesn't have a quarterback that can bail him out. That's the reality of it. And so they tend to look worse and worse and worse. And you say, okay, well, he's responsible for recruiting quarterbacks to a degree. You'd be correct. You'd be correct. And that's fair to say. But you also then can't say, well, he's been a terrible you know, recruiter of quarterbacks. Well, that's also very incorrect because Tyler Buckner's a big-time quarterback talent, and he's got two guys coming in that are also very talented. It's been inconsistent, and that's been an issue. Well, Brent, I feel like the fan base also did this with Brian Kelly when he left, right? It's like, did I like Brian Kelly? No, I did not like Brian Kelly. Was Brian Kelly a bad coach, though? No, mm-hmm. Brian Kelly wasn't a bad coach. He's a good coach. And right. Maybe he's a slightly overrated, right? Like, maybe. But, like, he's not a bad coach. That's right. just being in your feelings at that point, right? right? I mean, I could sit here and say, did not like Brian Kelly. I do think it was time to move on. But he was still a good coach. All those things could be the and same. the job he did is not a job that everyone could have done. Otherwise, exactly. the three previous coaches who couldn't do it would have, would have done it. 100%. And, and so, yes, th- th- that's the thing I think that happens a lot is we get to these – you pick a side. It's like we've talked about the running back conversation. It's like 
there's fans in this chat and and more so on Twitter. It's not as much in our our chat. There are some, there's a lot of fans on Twitter who are, you know, team Logan Diggs or team Audric Estime. And, and if the other guy gets touches that it's like, they think the coaches are screwing up. Like, why isn't this, you why are you giving the ball to Logan Diggs? So, so you're thinking that Audric Estime should literally be the only person that carries the football (laughs) and there's no value to giving Logan Diggs football. And then it's the same way with the people that are team Logan. It's like, why can't we as Notre Dame fans like say, hey, look, how about you be team all of them? You know, it's like some people, I, I like Logan Diggs. So every time they put Chris Tyree in the game and he doesn't make a carry, it's because he sucks. Well, maybe it's the coaches aren't using him correctly, right. you know, and, and and that's just some of that stuff just kind of frustrates me a little bit, Ryan, because we don't have enough nuance. I think that's what it, it is. I, I wouldn't say middle ground because that makes me think like we should all be like moderates and stuff. And I just can't stand that. Yeah. I think it's more it's more about just finding um I, I think it's just about being you know a little bit more rational Fair. with it. Yeah. Like just you know, finding some nuance, I think is the way to look at it. It doesn't have to be black or and we're very much in a polarized black or white society. You either hate the president or you don't. You know, you either hate this team or you don't. You either hate this food or you don't. You know, if this person says something you don't like, cancel them. It's like sometimes it's like, hey, that person said something stupid. So um, I don't really care to listen to you anymore, but I'm not going to then go try to get you fired from your job. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, there's people we've kicked off of our out of our chat for saying things that are across the line or we've kicked off of our message board because there's there's rights and wrongs. But I'm not then trying to get that person fired from their job. You know, I'm not trying to get them canceled for life. And it's just this thing where if you don't believe what I believe, you're a bad person. Or, slan- just, or slander them constantly. Yeah, or, and so yeah. it's just like, you know, look, Tommy Reese has done some really good things in Notre Dame. He didn't do a good enough job yet, though. But I, potentially he was on the verge of it. So this is either going to be – and this is a risky hire for Nick Saban if he makes it. It's a risky hire. You're betting that Tommy's going to take that next step with your resources. That's what you're betting on. Maybe he does. And maybe he doesn't. And so we'll find out if this is going to be a good hire or not. I'm not saying if it's a good hire, it's not a good hire. What I am saying is, but I can understand why Nick Saban would be looking at Tommy Reese because he's a pro style guy who likes the complex pass game. That's a lot of what Tommy Reese does sometimes to a fault, in my opinion, to be completely honest with you, but that's what Nick Saban's looking for. And we'll see if it pays off or not. But um, I just, some of this stuff just goes way too far. Yes. This goes way too far. Jordan Pinheiro says, what would the realistic timeline be for choosing a new OC? Honestly, Jordan, there isn't one. And 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 I talked with somebody yesterday, and basically what was said is, look, right now we're just kind of sitting back and waiting for Coach Reese to make his decision. You know, we've got some people that we would look at if the time comes, but we're just going to sit back and, and, and let for him to make his decision. But the reality is, is that it's much more important to make the right hire than it is to make an expedient hire. Obviously, there's a hope that there can be a, a both, but that depends on is your first batch of guys you want to go get? Are they interested in the job? Is it a fit? And so I think it's uh, it's a little bit of both. So they, they, they'll work with some some uh, some patience on this, but also with some I mean, there's a sense of urgency, right? Because spring practice starts in a month, but yeah. it's not like they've got to get a guy hired by Friday. And, and, and if, if now if they if they if the right guy's there. That could happen quickly, but anyone that knows Notre Dame's um, HR process knows that hires at Notre Dame don't happen quickly unless the guy's <laughs> been a coach at Notre Dame before. 
So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. All right, let's get to some more here. Uh, here's one from John A1. I rewatched the North Carolina game, and Chris Tyree had a big impact on the game. Will the 2023 offense, if he stays, be more the UNC three-back attack or South Carolina two-back attack with a sprinkle of Tyree? Honestly, John, even if Reese leaves, that needs to be part of what they do. And, and I think some games is going to be dependent upon it could be one or the other. Some games you're just going to Chris. Look, the, the reality is if 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 I was the if I was the main advisor to the new OC or to Tommy Reese, and and he did exactly what I wanted him to do. There's going to be games where Chris Tyree's just a sprinkle it, because of just the way the game is going. Like, dude, we're dominant here. We don't need that right now. We are. They can't stop this right here. So why are we going to? You know, so he may only get three or four touches just to kind of keep teams honest. But man, we are just running it down well, their throat. And can, some can I give you an example? Get, yeah, go for it. So the Syracuse game, right, where Notre Dame just came out, they were going against an undersized front, and Notre Dame was just bullying them right, right. up the middle. Like that's probably not a game that Chris Tyree needs to be crazy right. involved. He doesn't need right? ten touches in that game necessarily. Exactly. Right. Now, could you would should they still use him a little differently just to keep that team honest? Sure, yeah, there should be some yes. of that. And then there's going to be some games where he's a you know a ten plus carry guy and has a big impact on the game, like Cal, like North Carolina. But even if all you use him is sort of a one of those games where he just is kind of a sprinkle, like he was against South Carolina, then great. Because let's not forget the first ten plus yard run of that game, I believe, was from Chris Tyree on an in, he just cut back an inside zone. You remember that, Ryan? Yeah. And then of course he had the big third down conversion on that on the game tying tu- on the game winning touchdown drive. He didn't have a lot of touches. It was a Logan Diggs Audric estimate game for the most part, but Chris had some clutch plays. He just didn't have the same volume. Both of those games to me were great usage of a three down offense. Not every game is going to be Logan gets this many, Audric gets this many, and Chris gets this many, and it's going to be that way every game. There's going to be some games where dude Logan is hot today. Let's keep riding them. Let's keep, you know, or, or Audric is on fire there. You know what? They have no answers for Chris Tyree in space. None. And so we're just going to keep feeding them until they stop it. Right. And, and that's partly what, why you need to use a three back offense when you have this kind of talent in the backfield, because they're all so different, Ryan, that if a team is team, some teams are going to choose to take away. I'll give you an example from my coaching career. I think I've used this before. My year at Duquesne, we had three really good receivers. Our two outside guys were dynamic. Our inside guy was just like a clutch, you know, chain mover, really money guy. And a lot of teams would try to stop Michael Warfield as our boundary guy, but we played a team, and I can't remember if it was Siena or St. Peter's, but they came out with a game plan where Yarden Brantley was our fast guy. He ran a 4-4-2 for the Eagle Scouts, which is why they signed him to, to their minicamp. But he was our burner, and they were afraid of Yarden. And so wherever Yarden lined up, they would put a corner and a safety over top of them. We figured this out pretty quickly. And so we started doing is we started using Yarden to, to move to places where we wanted to manipulate the defense so we could throw to somebody else. So we wanted to bang a backside post. We'd put Yarden, you know, in the slot and have him run a corner, or put him on the outside and run a go, depending on what they were doing coverage-wise. And so he had two catches for six yards. But I think Randy had like 10 catches in that game, and Michael Warfield went off in that game and had a bunch of yards, and we ripped that team apart, right? Because some team is going to say, we're just not going to let Audric beat us today. Okay, that's cool, but then we're going to kill you with Logan Diggs and Chris Tyree. And and that's going to happen, and that's just the way the game is going to go. There's going to be some games where just like you can't stop Audric today. 
like if Notre Dame would have had another drive against South Carolina, I'm feeding seven because they were just, they were worn out and they could not stop seven. Right. And then there's other games where it's like this team has no team speed in the box. We're going to make them chase Chris Tyree for the entire first half, maybe three quarters. And then there's going to be gas. And then we're going to come and just destroy him with Aldrick in the fourth quarter. You know, but that's what's great about having those three guys is no matter what they're doing, we have a back that we can respond with. Right. And that's why they all need to be a three. All three need to be a part of the game plan, in my opinion. Great question, John. All right. Let's get down to here some more. We've got one from. Let's get down. I want to get from some we haven't had yet so far. Let's get down here. Adam Blair, here we go. Ryan, I'm a Saints fan. Since we have the 29th pick, what do you think? Are you trying to rub it in my face, Ryan? That's hurtful. Well, uh, no, I was still the, uh, Adam, I mean. Adam, I mean. Oh, Adam. I was about to uh, say. Because who, who had the 29th pick up until a couple days ago? I'm just yeah. messing with Adam here a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the Broncos did for those uh, not sure of what I'm talking about here. Uh, but he says, Ryan, I'm a Saints fan. Since we, ha- since we have the 29th pick, what do you think we should do with our team this offseason? And obviously with the first-round pick being part of that conversation. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I, the Saints are in a tough com- a tough spot, in my opinion, man. They, they Look, the Brian, do you know who the Saints' top quarterback was this year? Uh, wasn't it uh, uh, the guy from TCU? Andy Dalton. That's yeah. right, man. Yeah. So, I mean, they do not have their future at quarterback right yeah, now. Obviously, <laughs> you're most likely not going to get a guy with the 29th overall pick, right? You're not, most likely not going to get that guy. But, I mean, honestly, Adam, well, I think Can I that, ask a question? Yeah. What would you think – I'm only bringing something right because I want – before you move away from quarterback, yes. what would you think of the Saints drafting Tanner McKee 29th? Oh, no, no, no. Do you I'm think just, he has first-round talent? No. I mean – I, I I just I, I'm I'm kind of out on Tanner McKee. I only a bit. I only ask because I've seen some people talk about how maybe he could slide into the back of the first round. Uh, I just I really don't see that. I I personally don't. I mean, would I be against what it? Would, maybe what would this? be the reasons? You, what, I'm I'm not arguing. I'm just yeah asking. I, I I just think that the lack of mobility scares me a lot, man. Like that that lack of mobility, and then you know he's been banged up a little bit during his career. Like all those things together, just kind. Uh, it just kind of scares me a little bit. I, I don't know. Just really does. I, I think that if he was just a little more out of structure stuff that he could do, just a little bit more. But I just think that the the fact that he just isn't incredibly mobile just scares me half to death. To be honest, like it just does. And he's I, I think he's also a little bit developmental, and he's not the youngest quarterback either to be in a developmental right. stage. Right. And because he did it, he did just, a two year mission. Right. Exactly. So I, I just I personally wouldn't be in that conversation. But I mean. It's going to be a tough, a tough scenario, though, Adam. Like, I don't know what the the answer is at quarterback. I mean, that's the main, the most, the main takeaway for the Saints because their roster is in a really strange, strange spot right now. You know, you backloaded so many contracts for so many years under Sean Payton with Drew Brees because you were constantly making a run, making a run, and for good reason, right? Like, you took your shot. Like, I 100% get it. But now you're looking at the team and you're like, all right, offensive line is still solid i mean you need the the first round pick from last year at northern iowa to to come back and hopefully be a dude i know he missed all the year with the injury but you still have ryan ramchek who i know is a really good football player you got eric mccoy who's a solid football player like there's some pieces on the offensive line wide receiver i mean chris Olave had a nice rookie year but you still need to find other weapons outside of chris Olave. i mean they were using the, the Shahid kid who was an undrafted free agent out of Weber State as one of their main weapons down the stretch of the season. And, like, 
that's awesome that he found a role, but like I don't think that he should just be that main player. So I think offensive skill position just in general needs a needs a reboot. It really does. Defensively, the Saints are still in a pretty good spot. I mean, you have Dennis Allen as your head coach, who is a good defensive mind. Is he a great head coach? I don't know. I mean, he hasn't impressed me overly in the two jobs that he's had so far. But we'll see what happens. Regardless, though, he's a smart offensive uh, defensive coach. He's still got Marcus Lattimore on the back end, who I know was you know banged up for most of the year, but he's still a really talented football player. Pete Werner in the middle. It's a Mario Davis. We're still obviously a very good middle. You have Cameron Jordan up front. So – I think defense, you're in a pretty solid spot. It's just offensively, you need to figure out the skill position, man. You're just not nearly as explosive enough as you need to be. You don't have your quarterback. So what would you do with that 29th pick? I honestly don't know. I mean, is there a wide receiver on the board there that you like? I mean, I guess we can have that conversation, right? Is there a Joshua Downs at 29 that you really like? Is there a Jordan Addison maybe even that you like at that spot? Like, is there a wide receiver that you're setting yourself up for the next franchise quarterback for the Saints? That could be a conversation piece, but I mean, obviously the quarterback is the spot that you would like to fix, but I just don't know if you have the assets capable to figure that out this offseason. This might be a, hey man, we need to rebuild some of this offensive structure. Let's start getting this roster turning in the right, better direction. Let's start rebooting, get a little younger in certain spots, and then find your quarterback in 2024. That might be the spot you're in right now. So I think initial conversation after talking this out a little bit is, 29th overall, offensive weapon, you know, get get a wide receiver in there to pair with Chris Olave. So at least you're setting yourself up for whoever the quarterback is long-term. You have some guys around him to be successful. Let me ask you this question, Ryan. Do you yeah. think teams in the market for a quarterback that don't have the capital to move up yeah. probably this year or next, could you see some situations where – the market after the draft for guys already on teams like Davis, a Davis, like if the Texans draft a quarterback, does Davis Mills become a commodity for a team? I mean, did he show enough in his, I know he struggled this year. Did he show enough as a rookie? I mean, what happens? Like, does Derek Carr become a much more hot commodity for some of these teams? Like if you're a team like the saints, for example, you know, what is it? Cause I guess part of it depends on what the Raiders are looking for and knowing the Raiders, right. they'll, they'll ask for too much and then not get anything and just keep them on their roster and have to pay them a lot of money to be a backup yes. quarterback on the Raiders. But the, the point is, I mean, there are going to be some resource, some guys out there yep. that teams can say, Hey, look, let's take a flyer on this guy, build up these other positions in the draft. And, and if we don't, and if it doesn't work, then we're going to be picking in the top 10 next year. <laughs> we go right. get a quarterback next year. Uh, no, I, I think that it's – I mean, that's the best-case scenario, in my opinion, because if you're the Saints, again, this was an old roster, right? It was an old roster at the end of the Drew Brees era, so you're trying to rebuild and get younger in a lot of places. So it really depends for me, Brian, personally. Is there a player out there, a Davis Mills that you're talking about, even a Gardner Minshew, someone like that, that could at least be a stopgap option that's for cheap, right? Like if, if I tossed you a fourth-round pick for Davis Mills, for instance – would that be enough? Would you get him off the roster since you have Bryce Young? I mean, if that situation happens, maybe I kick the tires and see if he's the guy. If not, I mean, it's again, he was a former third-round pick that you gave up a fourth-round pick for. So it's not like you invested a, a ton of assets into a Davis Mills. I just really think it, the risk, it has to be a low-risk type of opportunity for me. Like, I'm not giving up a second-round pick for, for Derek Carr, for instance, because he's right. also has a bigger contract, right? Like, if there's a kid out there – you know, if you can get a fourth or a fifth rounder for Gardner Minshew, even can Gardner maybe get something going? If he doesn't, at least you just you didn't give up a ton of assets for him personally. 
All right. Good stuff, Ryan. Good stuff. Let's get to some more here. We did have some super chats. I want to get to one from Tyler Evans. He says, Mr. Roberts, which NFL team will mortgage their future to move up to the draft for a quarterback? And my additional add-on to that, will there be more than one? There may be more than one. That's a very interesting because I I think the Raiders are a team that makes some sense, obviously, with the Derek Carr conversation that's happening. I think the guy that the team that everyone keeps talking about most, and I think it's very realistic why this one is, is that if you're the Carolina Panthers and you're a pick nine, you are in a strange place there at number nine, right? Because as as it looks like right now, the Houston Texans are picking at two. They're going to take a quarterback, right? They're going to take one. You have the Indianapolis Colts at number four. They need a quarterback. There's no doubt about it. The Panthers are in that kind of that weird spot, though, Brian, where it's like if you don't get one of the top two to three quarterbacks, you might be staring at yourself in the face and being like, what am I going to do now? Like, I'm not going to roll with Sam Darnold again next year. Like, I'm not going to do that. So I think Carolina's a team that makes sense to move up. I think Indianapolis at number four would make sense with the to trade with the Bears if there's a guy that they absolutely love that they want to make sure that they can get with the number one overall pick. So to your question, which I think is a good add-on, I could see the Colts moving up to make sure they got their guy at number one, and I could see the Carolina Panthers being a team that moves up to make sure that they get one of the top two quarterbacks, and I could see the L.A. Raiders being involved in the quarterback market as well. So I think there's multiple teams that could be in that market, absolutely. Here's the next part of this question, Ryan, is 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 yeah. what the secondary quarterback market. And for me, that involves the Tanner McKee. It involves the Anthony Richardsons. If Anthony yeah. falls down, because fall, there's going to be a lot of teams that are going to wisely say there's no way I'm trading capital to move up to get Anthony Richardson in the top 10. Because I've seen people talking about him being top 10 pick, which I think is nuts. But you know, how how far down does he have to fall before teams start saying, okay, now he's in a range I'm comfortable moving up for? And then also you start getting – because after you get past that, it's like the the the, uh, the the quarterback talent in the draft becomes a little bit shaky. Yes. And so does does there become a run late first round, early set, into the second round for Tanner McKee? Now, not what you think, because you and I both know right. there's been quarterbacks picked high that you and I are like, there's no way I'm touching that guy on day two, much less day one. <laughs> sure. My question is more of looking at what NFL teams might do in a league that is terrible at evaluating quarterbacks and also – gets real panicky when it comes to quarterbacks, right? Right. Could you see a secondary quarterback run happening at the end of first, of the middle to end of first round for some of those the non-Levis, the non Bryce Young and CJ Stroud group of quarterbacks? I mean, yeah, I mean it it usually happens. Last year was the admiration, right? Like that's that is the exception to the rule. The quarterback last year, teams were just like, nope, don't like any of these guys. So one <laughs> quarterback went in the first round and then you didn't see another quarterback go until the late second round, I think, is where is where the next one was taken. I think Desmond Ritter went with one of the last couple picks in the second round. So that it just that's just kind of it was a weird year in that sense. But I do think that Anthony Richardson's a guy that if he starts getting into the mid to late twenties, a team that has maybe that's maybe in a decent quarterback situation as far as having maybe an older veteran that's still a good player but maybe on the decline or going to retire in the near future. I think that he would make a lot of sense to be a guy that redshirts as a rookie, right? Where you can kind of get him up to speed. I think that could be a guy, Tanner McKee, you mentioned some people like Jaron Hall. I'm, I'm missing it with Jaron Hall right now as a pro prospect. I liked him as a college football player, but I'm missing a little bit. I will say this, Brian, yeah. if there's very good college quarterback, not a, yeah. not an, not an NFL backup. That's what not, he is. Not, not a first round 
not a late first round player, but I think a value that would happen in the second or third round, even depending on the injury is Hendon Hooker, I think is a guy that is going to be now a little, he could have been a guy that may have went late, late first round. If he was not injured, he went through the entire process, went to the senior bowl, did all that type of stuff. I think Hendon Hooker is a guy that people could potentially get a nice value on. Maybe it's somewhere in the second round where you say, hey, if I have to move up a couple spots to secure headed hooker because he's probably not going to play at all as a rookie, right? He's probably going to miss the majority of the season. But he could be another redshirt candidate along in a similar vein with Andrew Richardson for obvious different reasons. But after that, man, it's like, you know, I like Jake Hayner as a backup type long term, but like is somebody gonna right. <laughs> is somebody gonna jump up to get a guy like a Jake Hayner? Like I like him, but like He's not a it's not a starting quarterback more than likely in the NFL. So the well dries up very quickly with guys like Phil Dracovic and them going back to school with obviously the situations that they're working right. through. So I, I just yeah I think that the the late first round conversation is probably one guy, and then there might be one or two guys on day two where you're like, okay, we'll take a gamble on that type of dude. Next year's QB draft class is going to be very fascinating because it yeah. could be a thing where it's just a couple dudes at the top. Or it could be a deal where you're like, I'm not trading up into the top five because there's six first-round quarterbacks in this draft class. It could be Possible. one of those two extremes because there's so many of those guys like Phil Dracovic is getting first-round talk. You cannot possibly talk to me about Phil Dracovic being a first-round quarterback after the last two years and all the injuries no. and some of the things that have gone on with him. You know, yep. But he was really good under Signetti. Does that yep. change now he's back with Signetti? I have no idea. And if he does play well, does that kind of is that enough for you as an NFL guy to over kind of come what he did the last year and a half since he's been hurt? There's just so many of those unique scenarios, Ryan. Qu- Quinn Ewers, does Quinn, Quinn Ewers, Ewers take a big jump, like Sam yeah. Hartman. You know, I mean, you know, what does he do if he comes out and he just you know looks like okay, all the the questions we had about him, size, durability, arm strength. Well, he just went out and did it at Notre Dame against right. Ohio State and USC and Clemson and Georgia and whoever else. It's going to be if, fascinating. If Kyle McCord gets a certain job at Ohio State and he just yeah. balls out, I, although no, I know we're right. both against taking one-year wonders, but right. like still. But, but my point is, 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 is what I mean by that is, Ryan, is I don't, I'm not yeah. taking a one-year wonder with the number two overall pick like the Bears 100%. did. 100%. But you start getting to those, if a, if a class is so deep, there's going to be somebody in the 20s that I'm yeah. willing, now I'm willing to take a flyer on a one-year wonder no at 23. You know what I mean? And, and, and okay, I'm not going to trade capital enough capital to get up into the top 10 because I think I can hang around in the late first, early second and get a Sam Hartman in round two and take a flyer on him. And then if it doesn't work, there's a, you know, there's just going to be those interesting things next year, depending on how guys develop. Cause like you said, there's a lot of, they could be here and they could be here guys in next year's yes. draft class at quarterback, which is going to make it really interesting. A lot and even those. Drake may. Okay. Drake may was great this year. I want to see what he does next year in a new yeah. offense, you know, with losing some of the guys he had around him. Can he elevate the people around him or not? Because I'll say this, when the when the players around him didn't play well, Drake May struggled, right, which is expected from a first-year quarterback. No but now that you're in year two, I want to see you – because Caleb Williams had a little bit of that his first year where he couldn't really elevate what was around him. Well, he was a first-year starter. Well, then in year two, Caleb Williams was able to elevate everybody around him, right? Same with – you know. so now we get to see if can Drake May do a similar thing. We'll find out. But all of it's fascinating. It's it's going to be a really – for draft people, the quarterback class of 24 is going to be fascinating. Because then there's a bunch of young guys too, man. Yeah. Like Riley Leonard's going to be a third-year sophomore. It's like that's a kid that's interesting, you know? Like there's some guys that are just out there that you're just like – not many people talk about that 
dude. But I mean, Riley Leonard's got some tools now, man. Like, is he? Can he be that guy? I don't know. But it's going to be an interesting conversation. Right. Piece. You're absolutely right. Right, and it could have got really interesting if the if if Brock Purdy doesn't get hurt and, and the Niners win. I'm not saying they lost because of Brock Purdy getting hurt. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying sure. I, Certainly then, didn't help. <laughs> right. But then you say, okay, now do teams start saying, well, dude, if these guys can get to the Super Bowl with this guy, you know what I mean? Like do, then two teams re- – because you, as you said, this is a copycat league. Yep. It's like the, the Niners have gotten to the Super Bowl three times with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, Colin Kaepernick, and now Brock Purdy. Mm-hmm. None of those guys are first-round picks. You know, so again, it just it all is just so fascinating to see how it all, how it all plays out. You know, like Jalen Hurts getting to the Super Bowl. Like, hey, you know what? Maybe we don't need to go for these top ten guys and give up all this draft capital. The Eagles didn't. They stayed pat. They got a guy. What round did he go? Second, second third, second round. Yep. Hey, stand pat. Get a guy like him, and then make sure that the town around him is really good because that's really where you're at. Do you take a Pat Mahomes and give up draft capital to get him? This is hypothetical because I know the, the Chiefs have been able to draft well in some of the later rounds. But you know, do you give up that draft capital and to get the star, and then he's got to kind of lift everybody else up because there's not enough players around him, right? And, or do you say, let me wait till round two, get this really good player, and then use my higher premium draft picks in round one and some of my free agent money in round in, to to then say I'm gonna I'm gonna elevate the town around him because those are the sure. two strategies. And yep. you're seeing you're, the Super Bowl is an example of both strategies working. Right. Right. Because if you take Pat Mahomes off the Chiefs and add anyone up, not named Joe Burrow or Josh Allen, they're not a Super Bowl team. They're, mm-hmm. they're just not. From what I've seen in the playoffs, they're just not. Maybe they've been better in the regular season, Ryan, but you take Pat Mahomes off there and put anyone other than those two guys on that roster, they're not a Super Bowl team. Okay. There are other court. There's a lot of – this is no disrespect to J, J, Jalen Hurts, who did a great job for them in the games I watched in the playoffs and statistically, but – with all due respect, there's several quarterbacks that could do what Jalen Hurts is doing because the town around him is really good on both and, sides of the ball. And you're in a situation with Jalen Hurts right now where he's a second-round quarterback on a rookie deal, right? Yeah. Like you can allocate capital and contracts in a lot of different areas. I mean, if you look at that roster right now, I mean, it's like you had to pay A.J. Brown. You had to play Javon Hargrave. You had, uh, you had to pay – you know, uh, James Bradbury on the other side of Darius Slay. And and that all, I mean, that offense is the, the roster. And shout out to Howie Roseman for this. The roster has like no holes in it, man. The Eagles right. roster is so good. But this offseason, Jalen Hurts is probably going to get paid, right? He's probably going to get 30 plus million dollars a year. So you took your shot with a rookie quarterback or a quarterback on a rookie deal. I think the nuanced conversation too, Brian, to your point is, is that both can work in that first rookie window. But now if you're paying Jalen Hurts, can that be sustainable Bingo. now if he has to now elevate people exactly. around it? Because the talent is not going to be as good moving forward as it was this year. Just what's he making? Be. million bucks? So, not not what, much. What's not your much. roster look like when you got to pay him 30? Exactly. And you can't afford James Bradbury. You can't afford. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, that's that's what makes this all really fascinating. Really, really fascinating. Okay, so that's Tyler Evans. Now we have one from Tyler Smith. What teams do you think? Thank you for the super chat, Tyler. What teams do you think have won the offseason? As far this as is, college football. This is college football, yeah. Okay. Teams have won the offseason. 
So, I mean, I'm thinking about what, what they've hired as coordinators, right? Is that, well, actually, no, I'll say it like this. Coordinators, recruiting, transfer portal. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say this. I think Florida State had a great offseason for the players that they retained that were already on their roster. You know, they got, they obviously, they dipped into the transfer portal. They got guys like Braden Fisk, who's a really talented player. They got the cornerback from Virginia, the Cypro. Uh, Cypro was Fel- a, a tad overrated by some, yes. but still a good football player. Still a good football player. Better than what they have right mm-hmm. now at cornerback. So yeah. they got some decent transfer portal players, but the two biggest acquisitions they had this offseason were already on the roster. They got back their quarterback, and they also got back Jared Verse at defensive mm-hmm. ends. You got back your two best players, and most impactful players at least. Yeah, I think they've had a really good offseason. And they they didn't lose any of their key coaches. They didn't lose any of their – like nobody's taken Alec Atkins yet. Or Alex Atkins yet, excuse me. You know, but they also got – I mean, they got a transfer offensive lineman from Auburn as well. They needed help at guard because Dylan Gibbons is gone. And so they were able to get his – you know, potentially get his replacement. They got Jaheim Bell from South Carolina. Yes. So they, they've had a very Jer- good offseason. They got Jeremiah Byers from Utah, right, too, from right? Utah. He's a yeah. baller, man. He's yeah. a really good player. <laughs> Florida State's had a really good offseason. I think Ole yeah. Miss went out and got a lot of portal guys on defense, which they needed. That's yep. kind of been an issue for them. This last year, especially on defense, was really bad for them. I'm just trying to think of some teams kind of off the top of my head. that I Look, I, I don't know how well it's going to work. I think Oklahoma got some quality defensive players to come there. Uh, I think USC's had a good offseason. I think that you know we're, everybody's going to talk about the receiver from Arizona. I'm never concerned about who. Notre Dame didn't lose to USC this year because they had great receivers. They lost to USC because Notre Dame couldn't stop the run and Caleb Williams did some Superman stuff, right? Yes. <laughs> and Notre Dame's quarterback turned the ball over in huge moments. But I the the pickups that they like they got they got two guards and a tackle. They're really good football. Two kids from Florida, and then the third kid from Washington State. No, two guards and a tackle. Yes. That are good football players. You know, they're good, big physical guys. So I thought it was some of those pickups that I thought helped them. They got the kid from uh, Purdue, who is not a great player, but it's a good pickup for them. It helps them replace yep. the the DN that they not the the kid that got all the sacks, but the other DN they had, the Sullivan who, kid. Yeah, they, Sullivan's yeah. not going to replace uh, the Thule kid. He's going to replace the other one, and I can't remember that guy's name. He was also a transfer a few years ago. And, wow. I'm, and I'm drawing a blank on on uh, his name. This is going to bother me. Just give me a second, Ryan. This is going to take yeah. me off as soon as it's not. Fi- it's not Figueroa, is it? Yes, right? like, yes, Figueroa? yes, okay. yes. And to me, he's a slight upgrade over Figueroa. He's not a great player, but he's a slight upgrade over Figueroa uh, yeah. to me. And so they've had some solid pickups this off season. Uh, so you know, I, I I think those are teams just off the top of my head that have have had good off seasons. If I thought of some more, I'm sure there Look, I think Wisconsin's had a good off season in regard to getting pieces to fit what they're trying to do. The question now becomes, Ryan, will yeah. is what they're trying to do going to be successful? Right? That's a legitimate debate. However, if you're going to make that move, you needed to make some of the moves that they have made sure. and had some success with. Was it a great off season? No, and I have serious doubts serious doubts about whether or not that's going to work but within that standpoint i think that okay if you're going to make that move you're making steps to give yourself the personnel to make it work with the transfer portal in my opinion i just don't i don't think it's going to work at wisconsin you know how people always talk in absolutes brian i you can't tell me anything absolutes because anything could happen because wisconsin's running the air raid in 2023 i know right like seriously you can't tell me there's yeah. any absolutes in the world. A finesse anymore. run None. game air raid. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, no. okay, whatever. Uh, who who knows <laughs> anymore? 
Uh, yeah. I'll tell you a couple other teams, Ryan, that I think have had that I think have had good off seasons, and 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 some people might not agree. Clemson didn't have a great off season because they just refused to go to the portal. But I think the Garrett yeah. Riley hire was a big one for them. Agreed. And it's not that I think Garrett Riley's a definite no brainer going to be a great coach. It's just their offensive coaching has been so bad in recent years, and he's going to fit so well with what Cade Klubnik does well that I think that that it doesn't. I've said this before, Ryan. This doesn't get them back but it stops their slide. There's a couple other moves Dabo's going to have to make that he hasn't made yet that are going to be that are going to have to happen before he gets them back on track, but right. this definitely to me stops the slide. Another one too because I agree with you completely on that one. Washington, University of Washington oh my getting back. Gosh, yes. Grubb as their offense coordinator who was flirting with Ohio with Alabama obviously. You get back Michael Penix Jr. at quarterback. You get back Jalen McMillan. You get back Roma Dunsey. You get back Braylon Trice. That team is they're they look like they could be a legit contender, not only in the Pac 12, but like they could be a playoff team next year if they put it all together because they got back some dudes, like absolute dudes. Both those wide receivers would have been drafted pretty highly in the 2023 NFL draft. I still think that Braylon Trice would have been a top 50 pick in the 2023 NFL draft. I think he's that good. So you get all those guys back. I think you also got ZTF back, right? The other defensive end, I think, came back. I know Jeremiah Martin, the other defensive end, came back. So Washington got back all of their key players, which is pretty wild. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 